a tremendous statement. Paul's praying here. He's praying for the people of Ephesus as he's writing. It's like he's writing and all of a sudden he just stops and he says, let me pray for you guys. Let me, let me say to you, there's no wrong time to just stop and say, hey, let's pray. And so he's just saying, let, let me stop and pray. And you'll notice as we read, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened. And so he is telling them what he's asking God to do. And I think that's a great thing, by the way, a great thing to do for people you love is to tell them exactly what you're asking God to do in their lives. And sometimes there's things that you can't tell. Maybe if somebody is struggling with a, with a sin, maybe you don't feel that it's the best thing to tell them that. But especially when it is, it is positive, specific things. You know, I'm praying that God will help you to uh, meet the challenge that you face this week. I'm praying that God will help you to be the best employee that you can be. I'm praying that God will, will uh, give you wisdom as you enter into this new phase of your life. Whatever it is, tell the people that you love specific, specifically what you're asking God to do in their life. That's a wonderful thing. And that's what Paul does here. He tells them for what it is, what it is that he's praying for in their life. But he comes down and he makes this statement. He's praying. He says, I pray that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And that's one of those phrases that to me it just reaches out and captures your attention. Be filled with all the fullness of God. Can you put everything aside? And I'm sure there's not many of you probably that are thinking about football tonight. Some of you are. And uh, me, I'll be honest with you, I've been so caught up in Iowa and New Hampshire. I got to Friday, I'm like, oh man, there's a football game Sunday night. So, But if you could put all that aside and the problems and there's a little wedding coming up next week that's a little bit on our minds, some of us, and whatever it is you've got on your heart, can you just sort of put it on hold for just a few minutes? I won't be long this morning. I want to lead us to the Lord's Supper table in sort of a different way this morning. And that's why we're going to be in the Bible first and then hit the Lord's Supper table together. But I want you to think about this phrase, be filled with all the fullness of God. It's a statement that I look at it and I go, man, I don't know what that means, but I want it. So I sat down and I... I tried to reword it. What does that mean? I like to do that with passages of Scripture. That I, I'm not, I know it's awesome, I know it's great, but I want it to sink down in my mind and heart more than it's there. So I try to reword it in as many different ways as I can. And so I did that. And it was okay. But I thought, man, that's not ready to be a blessing to anybody else yet. How can I really get at the heart of be filled with all the fullness of God. And I prayed and asked God to show me. I believe he did because here's the question that came to mind. If anybody in the history of the world has ever been filled with all the fullness of God, 
don't you think I would have told you about them? Yeah, that makes sense, Lord. You would have told me about them. Okay, so if you switch that around, this question. Don't you think the people that I chose to tell you about in the Bible were people that knew something of what it meant to be filled with all the fullness of God? Yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense that if anybody has ever lived who could tell me what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God, it would be the main characters of God's Word. Okay, so go back and take a look at their lives. And let them tell you what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God. So I looked at this subject through the eyes of some people that to me very clearly had a connection with God. And I went to them prayerfully and I considered their lives and I, if this doesn't sound too weird to you, too crazy, I asked them to tell me. No, I didn't have a seance or anything. I'm not saying that. I I just, I looked at their life in the Bible and everything I knew about them. And I said, all right, based on what I know about you, what does your life tell me about what it means? If I could go to the end of your life and interview you, looking back on your life and everything that God did as recorded in the Bible, how would you explain to me what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God? For example, Enoch. Enoch, would you testify that you know what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God? Of God. Oh, absolutely. Even though the Bible just has very small statements about Enoch, he's a huge Bible character. So you would testify, Enoch, that you know what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God. Yeah, without a doubt. Okay? Then tell us what that statement means. Since you've lived it, tell us what it means. Put it into a sentence. And here's what I hear Enoch saying. When you walk with God, There's no limit to the places that God will take you. Filled with all the fullness of God. I go to Abraham. Abraham, you lived an amazing life. Would you say, Abraham, that you know what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God? Absolutely. In fact, to us, Abraham doesn't even have have to answer that question. He was called the father of all that believed. He's called the friend of God. Abraham doesn't even have to answer that question. We know the answer. Okay, Abraham then, look back on your amazing life. And could you put into words for us what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God? Well, it's not an easy life. I was... Wealthy man, great lands, great businesses. God asked me to leave and go to a place that I know not. And I went from a very stable lifestyle, sold the ranch, and moved everything and everybody to a place, and I didn't even know the destination when I left. And when I got there, God says, don't build houses with foundations. Don't dig permanent roots here because you're just a visitor here. So I went from stability to financially instability, but God always took care of me. 
Oh, I always had plenty more than I needed. And I went from dreams of, you know, retirement to God gave me this promise. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Out of who? Well, out of you, out of your, out of your kids. Well, I don't have any kids. Yeah, but I'm, I'm going to make a great nation out of your offspring. I don't have any offspring. Yeah, but I'm going to make a great nation. Okay. All right. And even there, I'm, I'm quoting Abraham as talking back, but there's no indication in the Bible that he ever talked back. He questioned God a couple times, but he never talked back. For 25 years, Abraham waited to see this vision come to pass of, I'm going to make a great nation out of your offspring, with no offspring. 25 years he waited for the answer. After 25 years, God gave him the answer. And then after God gives him the answer in the person of Isaac, it's only 20 years or so that God says, now I want you to take him and offer him on an altar. Kill your son. Give him back to me. Take what I've given you and give him back to me. And Abraham did what he always had done. Yes, sir. Took his son, all the provisions needed for a sacrifice, and took him up to Mount Moriah, which is now the city of Jerusalem where the the Temple of Solomon was built and offered up his son. But before he could complete the act of killing his own son, God stopped him. And said, all right, take your son off the altar. There's a ram caught over there in the bushes. Take him, put him in the altar, and offer him instead as a sacrifice. Abraham's faith was unbelievable. And he thinks back over all these things in his life. And he thinks now of the legacy. As he knows that God is going to take his son and turn one son into two sons. And two sons into twelve sons and twelve sons into a nation. Abraham, do you know what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God? Yes, I do. Can you put it into a statement for us, okay? It means that when you learn to trust God, He can take your emptiness and turn it into an everlasting legacy. We go through the timeline of the Bible, and a man that is considered to be a contemporary of Abraham, though they, as far as the Bible indicates, never met, but probably lived in the same general time period. A man named Job. Job, think back over your story. Ten children, they all were killed in the same day. You lost all your businesses. You lost all of your status in the community. You lost all your wealth. You lost the respect of the people that work for you. And now you have lost your health. And then after probably at least a year in that, in that uh, position. And Jewish tradition says it could have been as long as seven years in that condition, but even a year in that condition. And God gives it all back to him, gives back double, except, of course, for his children. He gives him ten more children, which is double because ten have gone on to heaven and these ten. Job, look back over your story and... Do you think you can say, Job, that you know what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God? Oh, absolutely, I do. Can you summarize your life then and tell us what that means, what that statement means? 
And Job says, when you think you've lost everything, God becomes your everything. We move down to a man named Joseph, grandson, great-grandson of Abraham, grandson of Isaac, son of Jacob. We see a young man whose mind and heart was filled with dreams of doing big things. And then he has it stripped all away and his life becomes a, he just becomes a target of criticism, false accusation and heartache and imprisonment and, and losing his homeland, losing his family and everything's torn away from him. And then after probably 10 or more years, no, absolutely 10 or more years in that position, he has it all instantly handed back to him. And ultimately, he is reunited with his family, and God uses him to bring his family out of a position of drought into a position of prosperity, and he doesn't know it yet, but into a place of preparation. And Joseph sees all of his dreams come to pass in, in a most amazing way, and he dies having lived a very full and a life very blessed of God. Joseph. Do you think you've experienced what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God? Oh, I do. I do. By the way, the, the statement that's made of Joseph over and over again is the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Every terrible tragedy that came into his life, it says the Lord was with Joseph. Do you know what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God? I certainly do. Can you summarize your life and... Give us your take on what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God. Yeah. Hold on to the dream that God has given you no matter what. And he'll take you to it. Wow. Be filled with all the fullness of God. We find a lady in Egypt many years later. Now things have changed in Egypt and Israel is no longer a welcome guest. They are now slaves. And yet because they're multiplying, they're strong, they, they become a threat to Pharaoh, he thinks. And so he makes a law that every Hebrew boy that is born has to be thrown in the river. And a lady named Jochebed, a Jewish lady, she knows the law. She's seen baby boys thrown in the river, no doubt. And she finds out she's expecting, she already has a teenage daughter and a three-year-old son. She finds out she's expecting a boy. This would be the first child under this new law. And for nine months, she ponders the question, what if it's a boy? What if it's a boy? If it's a girl, she can live. But if it's a boy, I have to throw him in the river. The Nile River, by the way, is the most notorious for alligators what if it's a boy the boy is born and she and her husband look at the boy and instantly she knows there's no way he's going in the river well, what are we going to do I don't know but there's no way he's going in the river yeah, well, what if we get caught I don't know but there's no way he's going in the river okay what's our long term plan 
I guess we'll just have to think about that tomorrow. And tomorrow comes and another tomorrow comes and another tomorrow comes. And every day she says, I don't know what we're going to do, but there's no way he's going to the river today. Well, you can only keep a newborn baby quiet for so many days. And she, I'm sure, prays because Hebrews 11 says by faith. And so they were people of faith. And she says, what, what do we do? And the Lord gives her an idea. So many times your answers from God are ideas. And you need to pray them through and compare them with Scripture. But so many times the answer is an idea that you've never had before. And here's the idea. Her husband comes home and asks the same question he's been asking for weeks. What are we going to do? One of these days, somebody, one of the neighbors is going to hear the baby crying. They're going to turn us in. They've probably heard already, and they just... They don't want to be arrested and killed for not turning us in. They're going to turn us in. What are we going to do? And she said, I decided today we're going to throw him in the river. What? Yeah, we're going to put him in the river. But before we do, we're going to build a boat for him. And we're going to give him a chance to live, and we're going to see what happens. And you know how the story ends. Pharaoh's own daughter comes down and sees this baby floating in a boat. She knows it's the son of a Hebrew woman. And this lady named Jochebed has the opportunity to raise her own son. And so we say to Jochebed, do you know what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. She's not one that considered one of the major Bible characters. Most people couldn't even tell you who, if I said the name, who that is. But we all know the story. Um. Yeah, I know what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God. Look at your life, Jochebed, and tell us what that means to you. Well, I, I didn't know how I was going to bring my boy into this world and let him live, but God showed me the way. I didn't know how I was going to let go of him at a very young age to go and be raised in Pharaoh's palace but the Lord showed me the way. And I didn't know that our people were ever going to be delivered. And especially when we came to that Red Sea. But every step of the way, the Lord showed me the way because I trusted him. And so I would say to you that be filled with all the fullness of God. To me, it means when you take bold steps of faith, the Lord will show you the way to victory. Her son Moses, we know his story, I won't take the time, but there came a time when Moses was in the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights with God. And when he came out of the mountain, he didn't even realize that his face was shining so much so that you couldn't look at him. He didn't realize it, but everybody around him did. By the way, when, when you're close to God, you may not know how different you are, but everybody around you does. His face shone with the glory of God. Moses, do you know what it means to be filled with all the, the fullness of God? I sure do. You've lived a very full life. You're, we know more about you than we do most other Bible characters. But can you give us some perspective on what this means to you to be filled with all the fullness of God? 
Well, I'd say to me it means spend so much time with God that it shows on your face. Yeah, I like that one. We come to a lady down the road further named Rahab. If you know your Bible, you don't just know her as Rahab. You know her as Rahab the harlot. That's not a title that you want on your resume, but that's how we know her. And the New Testament calls her that. But that's not her legacy because even though Hebrews calls her the harlot, Matthew lists her in the genealogy of Jesus Christ because she had the faith to help the spies of Israel. And they said, uh, you have anything you can let us down out of this window with? Well, I have this red rope. (laughs) And uh, it's sort of connected to my occupation. I've used it for, I guess you could say, advertising. They said, well, we're going to give you a twofold purpose for this red rope. First of all, we're going to shimmy out the window and down the wall and escape out of here with this red rope. When we come back with our armies, if you'll have that red rope hanging out your window, everybody in your apartment will be spared. And she did that. And judge, the book of Joshua is very clear to tell us the Lord kept his word. And God didn't just save her life. He changed her life. Rahab. Do you know what it means to be filled with the fullness of God? Oh, you better believe I do. Could you put it into a statement for us? Yeah. Your whole life may be defined. I'm sorry. Your whole life may be edified identified by your sin. Let me start over because I botched it. Your whole life may be identified by your sin, but when God steps in, your life will be identified by his grace. Be filled with the fullness of God. Ruth, we know your story. Do you know what it means to be filled with the full? Hey, you're not even a Jew. Neither was Rahab, but you're not even a Jew, Ruth. You're a Moabite, a despised Moabites. You know what it means to be filled with the fullness of God? Yes, I do. Could you tell us what that means? Could you put it into words for us? Yeah. If you'll make the God of Israel your God, he can turn a heathen widow into the mother of many kings. You realize that Ruth was a... a, a a matriarch, if you will, a matriarch of every person who was ever a king in Israel. David. Now, let's, before we get to David, let's visit a lady named Hannah. Hannah. Do you know what it means to be filled with the fullness of God? Do you know by experience what that means? I sure do. I sure do. I was barren. God gave me many children in answer to my prayers, but he gave me a son who was a kingmaker. He anointed David to be king. He brought revival to the nation of Israel in answer to my prayer. So, Hannah, you, you know what it means to be filled with the fullness of God. I absolutely do. Could you put that into words for us? I sure can. Bring your heartache to the Lord and weep before him. 
And he'll turn your heartache into songs of praise and joy. David, you've had incredible life. A lot of stories about your life. We know you very well. We've sung your songs. David, do you know what it means to be filled with the fullness of God? Yeah, I sure do. Of all the songs that you've written and all your experiences, could you, could you put into sentence form what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God? Yeah. Whether you're a shepherd in a field or a fugitive in a cave or a king on a throne, God's countenance will sustain you. Bathsheba, you were a you were a role model of a lady, and through circumstances that most people would say weren't even your fault, you became an icon of shame. And then God used you and. Amazing ways after you had fallen. He still used you in amazing ways. Do you know what it means, Bathsheba, to be filled with all the fullness of God? Yes, I do. Could you put that into words for us? Yeah. When you realize that you have fallen farther than you ever thought you could fall, let God cleanse you. Because he'll change your regret and sorrow into a fountain of wisdom. Daniel, you know what it means to know, to, I'm sorry, to be filled with all the fullness of God? I sure do. Could you put that into words for us? Maybe the most amazing of all the prophets. Could you, could you tell us what that means? Yeah, if you stay close to God, no matter where you find yourself in life, he will reveal to you the deep secrets of life. See, I'm trying, and we're just going to talk to a few more people here. I'm trying to give us some perspective on what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God. Let me tell you, most of Christianity nowadays doesn't even want to know what that means, to be filled with all the fullness of God. We just want God to make us rich and happy. We want to do our thing and put a little God on top. But... A relationship with God goes a whole lot deeper than that. So we've got to understand this statement, be filled with all the fullness of God. And I tried and tried to put it into words that we would all get, but I think the people of the Bible are doing a much better job of it than I could have. Mary Magdalene, could you tell us, first of all, do you think you know what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God? And I think tears stream down her cheeks as she says, oh, you, you better know I do. Okay? Put it into words for us. And I think she sobs for a little bit before she answers. And when she can finally gain her composure and talk, she says, even if all you've ever known is sin and shame, when God touches you, all you ever know after that is peace and victory. Paul, you pen these words. Look at your life. Tell us what it means. And Paul says, you may think that God is your worst enemy. But when he opens your eyes, he becomes the prize that you pursue every day of your life. John, the 
beloved apostle. Do you think you know what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God? John says, I sure do. Tell us, old man, you outlived all the other apostles. Tell us what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God. And John says, live every day in love with Jesus. And he'll be there with you even when you think it's all over. Be filled with all the fullness of God. The truth is, I can't tell you what that statement means. You really have to find out for yourself. But first, you've got to want to find out for yourself. Would you take your hymn book? We're not going to sing. <clears throat> but I want to show you something. Take your hymn book and turn to number 502. as you're turning, I want to tell you about a lady. A lady was born in England in 1669. You'll recognize her name, but I'm going to pull a Paul Harvey on you and not tell you who she is until the end of the story. She was born in England in 1669. <clears throat> she was the last, the youngest of 25 children. So when she got married, she also had many children. She actually had 19 children, eight of them died in infancy. Her husband was um, pretty much good for nothing. Not a bad man, but wasn't really much to offer. So she raised these children with everything she had. When there was no good church in town that they could attend, she had church in her own house Sunday afternoon with her kids. And her church services were so good, she led them. By the way, her husband, not only was he a lousy husband, lousy father, but they were separated for a year. I mean, he just took off for a year. He was in jail at least two different times. I mean, he just he, he wasn't a great guy. So she's raising these kids. And she's determined to raise them in the fear of the Lord. So she trains them to know God. So she's having church with her kids on Sunday afternoon because there was no place for them to go in town. And there's a story behind that, but just we'll just leave it at that. There was no place for them to go. And uh, her services were so good with her kids that the townspeople asked permission to come and join her church services that she had for her own kids. And she said, I guess that's up to you. It became so popular that she had as many as 200 people in one service at her house. She wasn't trying to start a church there. She was having church for her kids because there was no place for them to go. And so many of the townspeople showed up because her services were so powerful. Her one son, I'll tell you now her name. Her name is Susanna Wesley. Her one son is known as the father of Methodism because she's his mother. She's known as the mother of Methodism. But her son, John Wesley, was the uh, circuit-riding preacher who is the, he's the icon of the Methodist church, tremendous man of God. I've got some of his books in my library. She had another son who was not a preacher. He was a songwriter. 
He wrote the song, if you've been in church, you know this. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. Her son wrote that, her son Charles. Her son Charles wrote the song, Christ the Lord is risen today. Alleluia. Yeah. <laughs> Her son Charles wrote the song, Love divine, all love excelling. Her son Charles wrote the song, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. I'll tell you this, you take Charles Wesley's songs and you could study them to learn Bible doctrine as well as you could use any Bible doctrine book. They're amazing, the doctrine that is in his songs. Your hymn book is open to number 502. This is another song that is written by her son Charles. You see in the upper left-hand corner, Charles Wesley. Any song, the the person who wrote the the words, his name is in the left corner, and the person who wrote the music, the tune, is in the right corner. Charles Wesley wrote these words. These are not all the verses, but these are the verses that are in our book. And I want, sometimes we sing something, it becomes so common that we miss what, what is actually being said. So I want you to follow along as I read to you what he wrote just before we go to the Lord's Supper table here. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? If you ever wonder what it means to meditate, it just means to sit and think about the same thing over and over again. That would be a good thing if you're sitting in the quiet and you're looking for something to really sink down deep into your soul. That would be a good statement right there. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? He left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. Emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy, all immense and free. For, oh, my God, it found out me. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Does anybody question that Charles Finney knew what it meant? I mean, I'm sorry, Charles Wesley knew what it meant to be filled with all the fullness of God. I think that's his answer right there. <laughs> 